I hope so. <laughs> All right. Now, Lord, I'm so glad that you have saved Jerry. God, it's amazing to see the heart of love you've given Jerry. He just shines with it. He serves in so many different ways. You've made him to be a man that helps support this church, and I'm grateful for it. I'm just, he's such a wonderful example of servant love. And today, this morning, as he is front and center on the stage, uh, typical for Jerry, I ask that your word would just shine out, and your love would shine through him, and that you'd strengthen Jerry, that Jerry would also be encouraged as he uh, is able to share your word to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Well, good morning, church. How are you today? Good. It's good to see uh, everybody. I even have some of my kids and grandchildren here. Way to go. (laughs) Anyway, I want to begin just by reading a text, uh, and then we'll pray, and then we'll we'll, uh, have the lesson. But in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 9, or 6, 9 through 15, um, the disciples were asking Jesus, how do you pray? And so Jesus said, Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also are forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. And then he said, for if you forgive... Now, Jesus, after he prayed, he said, If you forgive others their trespasses, the Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive yours. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so very thankful that you love us. We... uh, We've stood opposed to you many times in our lives, turned our backs on you many times, but you continued to love us. You drew us back into yourself. And we just thank you, God. Thank you for all that you've done. And I ask you, Lord, to, as this lesson is presented, that uh, you will just renew our hearts, Lord, in this subject. It is a difficult subject. It's a subject that's much easier said than done sometimes. But be with our, us and our understanding, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question. Um, have you ever received a reprimand from a dear friend? A correction of any kind? You know, most of us have. You know, a few years ago, um, I had um, <coughs> didn't know my didn't know my kids were going to be here. Just a minute. <laughs> yeah, it is. But a few years ago, I had gone through a really terrible divorce, and um, the subjects. Over the years, just keeps coming up, you know, the divorce, why the divorce, and all that. Well, a fellow postmaster 
uh, I was up in Boulder Creek as the postmaster, and uh, she um, she came to me and with some correction, and she had walked this walk before. <laughs> she had gone through it herself, and she had already removed that log in her own eye, and she is going to help me move this back from mine. And I really thank Nick for the last five weeks or so talking about that very subject. But she really encouraged me, very sweetly, very understandingly. But she said to me, you know, Jerry, you have to totally forgive. You have to. Because until you do, you're going to be tied up in chains. But if you release that unforgiveness, you will be set free. So I'm sure that most of us over the years have had occasions uh, to being called to forgive and it's like push to the limit on that forgiveness, what it would look like in your life. Well, on a personal note, uh, the wrong that I had been felt had been done to me, it was devastating. Um, Our family, our family suffered. It broke up. Um, it was hard on me, my kids, and on their mother. And I literally, through those years, I felt um, like um, like Job when Job cried out. He said, "I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest." I have nothing. So for a, a few years during that time, people would try to encourage me. You know, they would quote scripture to me about forgiveness. And, you know, I knew all that. I knew what I had to do. I knew what was required of me as a believer to do. But I tell you, <laughs> uh, you know, I would answer them, of course I know. I know. I know all that. But, you know, I was became a great uh, rationalizer of everything in, in that subject. I, uh, you know, I assumed that since nobody is perfect, everybody sins. Um, that sin of unforgiveness is no greater than anybody else's sin of whatever they were doing. And so I just really rationalized it away that I thought, you know, God understands what I'm going through and what everybody in that situation was going through, and actually probably uh, even thought he probably sympathized with me, you know, like poor Jerry, you know. <laughs> and I very proudly would say, you know, we didn't do anything to deserve that. But... Mercifully, uh, the Holy Spirit started talking to me through Scripture and through this dear friend and said, you know, you have to forgive. It's not a choice. It's a choice we can make to do or not to do, but you have to. If you're going to be obedient to God, you have to forgive. And until you do, you're going to be tied up. You're going to be chained up. So in my heart, you know, I always wanted to have a good relationship with my, my God, my Savior. I wanted to be close uh, to Him. 
But this nagging thing that just kept coming up in my soul, <laughs> it just, it, um, I don't know, I think perhaps many of you can feel that yourself, stuff happen in your life, and it just keeps repeating over and over in that, in the recesses of your mind. And, uh, but I had to get, I had to get serious with this. I had to say, okay, I am going to find out exactly for me what this means to forgive. So what did it mean when Jesus said, unless you forgive, God's not going to forgive you? I, I started looking at other scripture and, you know, Paul wrote that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Whatever you do, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because that relationship with the Holy Spirit should be a, a really big priority in our life. Because he's here to help us. He's here to guide us, to lead us. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, our thinking becomes distorted. And we really do have a hard time coping. We have a hard time dealing with uh, just life in general. We become very quick to speak, very quick to be angry. Uh, and resentments continually raise their ugly heads in our life. But remember, Paul said in, in Ephesians 4, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of your bitterness, your rage, your anger, the brawling, the slander. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. The second thing, are we still on here? Yeah. second thing I'd... Uh, I learned that refusal to forgive means that God is going to let you stand back and let you handle your life all by yourself. Because if you don't want to follow Him, He's going to say, "Okay, you can see how see how you do." Um, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14 that the backslider is filled with his ways, his own ways, and boy, is that the truth! You think you've got it all handled. Uh, and we find out that we as humans, I found out, we, we are capable of unspeakable ways of sinning. It, just, it is just amazing what happens when we, we try to let go of God, we open the door, and Satan is there to walk right in. And first thing he does, he asks us that age-old question. He asked Eve the same question. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that if you don't forgive, he's not going to forgive you? And then start rationalizing. you know. And he says to me, Satan would say to me, you didn't deserve that. Your kids didn't deserve that. So you buy the lie. You say, yeah, you're right. So once he gains entrance, we start compromising stuff in our life. We're compromising the way we, first of all, the way we think about Jesus and God. We compromise how we think about money. We compromise how we think about uh, sex. Compromise how we think about our own integrity. Our priorities and motivations become the world's and not God's. Found out also that when we don't obey and forgive. God's plan for us is put on hold. 
scripture says he's got a he's got a plan for us if we follow him. If we don't follow him, he just he's gonna stand back and say, Okay, do your own do your own thing, see how that works out for you. And <laughs> but the thing is you cannot walk in disobedience and be in God's plan. There's no way. And the fourth thing I found is that unforgiveness, and this is probably the most serious that I that I discovered in Scripture, is that unforgiveness forces God to become our enemy. That is pretty heavy. <laughs> but I read in James 4, James said, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within yourself? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covenant, and you don't get what you want. You fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. And when you do ask God, you ask under the wrong motivation. Selfish reasons. And then he said, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So I'm thinking, wow, I never, never, none of us want to ever be the judge, the jury, and the executioner of the people that have wronged us. Because we're all, we've all been wronged. I mean, some, some of us have dealt with it much better than others. Some of us in obedience have definitely dealt with us, and others were like me, just tied up in chains. But just remember that God, God will take care of wrongdoings that were done to us. He, is, he alone is the judge. He will deal fairly with them. So don't try to do his work for him. So I've, I accepted this truth. And I thought, wow, you know, this, my life is going to change. I, I really felt at that time my life was really changed. And I just pray that after today that when we accept these truths that your life will just in a little bit more will change also. Because we, we need to literally have Jesus give us a heart transplant. It is a matter of a heart. So as, as I began receiving the truth as Jesus taught us, I started having feelings of sorrow and of love. It was kind of like a, a mix. You know, I, uh, when I started praying for my children and, and my ex-wife, I started feeling a, a release of just real good peace in my life. And I thought I was released then from the bitterness that I was holding. I really thought I was. But as time went on and people would ask me, well, what happened in your life? You know, why did you have full custody of your kids? Very unusual. And I stupidly started relating the story, immediately those feelings <laughs> came back. It's like, I don't want that. Your peace gets snatched away so easily. So I had to make a choice. Do I prefer the peace or do I prefer the bitterness of thinking I was right? What does God Want, want us to do, wanted me to do. And I had to get really serious about what I believed and why I believed it. 
So I finally came to grip with uh, one, of the, one of the evils in my heart concerning that situation. To be honest, I had to be honest with myself that I, had, I was looking forward to some sort of a retribution, some sort of a vengeance against her. Um, that's pathetic. <laughs> but the Apostle Paul warned about that. In Romans 12, he said, Do not take revenge. Overcome evil with good. And I realize I'm only hurting myself every time I, I talked about that and started letting all that junk back into my life. So I, I look at Paul's warning again, admonition again in Ephesians 4. He says, don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We're sealed. We're sealed with Christ for that day of redemption. So get rid of the bitterness and the anger and all that and the slander. I realized I was actually slandering and uh, along with all that other stuff. <laughs> so... This battle that I had raging within me, I had re- had to resign myself to really two things. One, stop talking about it to people. None of their business. It was my business, her business, and God's business. So I just stop talking about it. And two, I pray that God would forgive us, her and me, just totally forgive us. So when I began praying this for her, I did. I did started starting to renew that peace that I had. Now there's this forgiveness, unforgiveness. It's a frequent theme throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, it's it's just laced all through. And and Jesus made a big deal about it when he's teaching his disciples. I mean, half of that prayer was about forgiveness. Well, that particular prayer, the word forgive, it's in the present tense. It's not in the past tense, not in the future tense, but it's written in the present tense. So when you pray for somebody, you're telling God, you're making a covenant with God right then. I am forgiving. Not something you're going to do or something you think you did do, but it's present tense. And, and God, God said, bear with each other. You know, Colossians 3 said, bear with each other. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So I had to think, okay, what has Christ forgiven me of? Um, My sins, which are many, unfortunately. Um, But God said, I will forgive you of all of your sins. I won't hold it against you. I promise. I'm not going to tell anybody what you did. I'm not going to tell anybody the kind of person you were. You've come to me. And in Proverbs it said, I will take your sins, I will throw them into my sea of forgetfulness, I won't remember them anymore. As far as the east is from the west. And uh, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful scripture. If you're ever worried about God dredging up your sins and whacking you with them again, look at, look at Psalms 103.12. So it therefore follows that, you know, I should be I should be gracious also. God wants me to be gracious, right? He's forgiven me. I won't remember. So it follows that I should not hold anything against those that have wronged me. So I 
I made a vow to myself and to God, I will never, ever again gossip about any sin, any person, anything. But before we go any further, though, we need to kind of clarify what forgiveness is not. Because a lot of assumptions are made about forgiving people. And looking at Scripture, what forgiveness is not, is not approving of the sin. God never approves of sin. In fact, he tells us to flee from sin, to stop doing whatever you're doing. He never excuses or justifies the sin. Moses, uh, when he's leading the children out of, Israel, out of Egypt, they were griping and complaining and blaming him for bringing us out in the desert so they can get killed by, uh, <laughs> by whatever is in the desert. And uh, Moses didn't make any excuses for them. He just prayed for them, and he asked God to show him their mercy, his mercy to them. Uh, we're not to pardon what they did. A pardon actually means that uh, the offender will never have any consequences for their action. And I know my mom and dad always gave me consequences, good and bad. Hopefully you as parents have given your children consequences, good and bad, and hopefully these young people that are here, when they start having children, they will look at consequences. Because consequences are there for a purpose. God has them there for a purpose. And another thing that forgiveness is not is forgetting. That is just very unrealistic. I think you could, you could forgive and then forget. But our love demonstrates God's love, that his grace, you know, we become fully aware of what went on, what happened, and we're still able to forgive. It really demonstrates the grace of God. And lastly, forgiveness, is not rec- forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. And ideally, it would be great. You know, you forgive somebody, the relationship is restored, and uh, that would be wonderful. But that doesn't always happen. So uh, I was thinking about that reconciliation, a perfect story. And except for the story of Christ and all he's done for us, the other story of reconciliation I'd, I'd like to share with you. And that's of Joseph. Uh, Genesis 37 through 50 has you know, 14 chapters of the preparation for reconciliation of Joseph. And we're not going to read those 14 chapters, by the way. <clears throat> but I really would recommend that uh, if you have a chance, and just take a, take a 45 minutes or so, read those chapters. It is, it really, those chapters are kind of a, 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 training, a training ground showing us how Joseph was trained in to becoming the kind of person God wanted him to be to be able to fulfill the plan that God wanted him to fulfill. So before we read the part of the 45th chapter, because that's the, that's the chapter where he reveals himself to his brothers, I want to just give you a little snapshot of what went on before. 22 years before, Joseph was 17 years old, um, a teenager who was one of 12 sons, and his father 
shame on Israel, but made no bones about who the favorite son was. And I hope none of you parents are doing that. It's devastating. Don't do it. But back to the story. Joseph was uh, appeared to be kind of a arrogant young teenager. Can't imagine that ever happening to teenagers. But uh, <laughs> but he was he was he was not very nice to his brothers, and his brothers hated him. And um, and because of this jealousy with the, with the father showing favoritism and all that, and the father gave him a, a colored many colored coat. The uh, technicolor coat, I guess you would say. And that bothered him. But what really kind of brought it all to a head was when he shared a dream that he had. And he, all of his brothers were together and he says, told them what the dream was. And then he said, and this is what it means. So someday you guys are all going to bow down before me. Almost like worship me. That was the... That was the thing that broke the camel's back with the brothers. So they conspired to kill him. Uh, they changed their mind. I think that's a plan of God. Had them change their mind. And they sold him instead into slavery. Now he's in Egypt. Far away. I think Cana and Egypt. There's probably, uh, what is that? 200 miles or something. Maybe a little bit more. But he's, uh, he's there in Egypt. And while he's in the Egypt... He's, um, he's, he's being blessed. He's a, a good servant to uh, the slave master. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, been, he's there for like, at this point, about 13 years as a slave. And he's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was some big shot. And Potiphar's wife had an eyeball on Joseph, wanted him as her own. And Joseph ran away from her. Well, she lied and told him that Joseph was trying to have his way with with her. So he was thrown into prison, which didn't make his day very well, because he was in prison a long time because of that. So here's Joseph. He he's he's changed a lot as a, from a young teenager to a, now an adult, and now he's being messed over. <laughs> Again, by somebody else, and, and he's in he's in prison because of it. So during his prison time, there were these two men that had dreams, and he interpreted the dreams for them, and both of them came true. One guy was executed; the other guy was restored to Pharaoh's household as the wine bearer, the cup bearer for for the for Pharaoh, and. Joseph was telling this guy, he said, when this comes true and you, and you get restored, remember to tell Pharaoh that I shouldn't be here. Tell Pharaoh that I was stolen out of my land, my Hebrew land, and people have lied and I don't deserve being put here. Don't deserve what, what's happened. So Joseph was still bitter. He was still bitter about that. He's wanting this guy to help, help save him. But the cupbearer, got restored to Pharaoh's house, and he forgot all about Pharaoh. Joseph. Forgot all about Joseph. So two more years in prison went by. And at this time, uh, he had changed a lot. Scripture said he is, he is really becoming 
God's man. No longer had bitterness. No longer kept telling the story, apparently, about what happened to him. So he And he didn't hold any grudges. So during that, about that two-year period, Pharaoh had a dream. And in this dream, uh, it was very concerning to Pharaoh. So he asked all of his soothsayers and magicians and all that to interpret the dream. Well, they couldn't. The wine bearer heard what was going on. And he said, hey, I remember. That was this Hebrew guy that I was in prison with. And he interpreted the dream that I would be restored to you, Pharaoh. So Pharaoh said, well, get him out of prison. So they got him out of prison. They cleaned him up. He probably hadn't shaved in years or took, you know, I can't, can't even imagine. But they brought him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh told him his dream. Joseph interpreted the dream. Said that there would be seven years of abundance in Egypt. And then directly following that, seven years of famine. So he told Pharaoh, you need to build storehouses, store as much food as you can in those seven years so that people would be saved during the next seven. So Pharaoh said, well, is anybody in my kingdom wise enough to do that? No. you know. So he immediately made Joseph um, the governor of all of Egypt, second in command in power. Just amazing, just that, uh, just that part, just amazing. So, under Joseph's rule, an abundance of food was stored up. Uh, I forget, I forget exactly. Uh, the Bible talks about a percentage of every crop that people were raising were stored. So they had warehouses all over, all over Egypt, and uh, Joseph was in charge of the distribution of all this food when people came. So two years into this, uh, after the abundance was over, then the famine came. And two years into the famine, um, people from outlying nations were starving. I mean, they were they'd run out of food, and that happened up in Cana, also where Israel and his ten sons and families were living. So he sent his sons. He sent ten of them anyway, or he had eleven sons. He sent ten of them to Egypt to get food. They left the youngest boy with his dad, and his name was Benjamin, and who it sounds like Israel was still favoring, unfortunately, but he, he was. And so he said, I've already lost one son. I don't want to lose another son. Well, how about those 10 that you're sending? <laughs> what if you lose all 10? But that, that was Israel at the time. <laughs> anyway, so he sent the sons. Uh, they appeared, they came into the court, I guess, where um, Joseph was presiding. And I'm going to keep referring to Joseph as Joseph because I can't pronounce his Egyptian name. Um, so I'll just call him Joseph. <clears throat> and anyway, they came into the court and they bowed before Joseph. <laughs> so a fulfillment of the dream. And Joseph, you know, they, they didn't recognize him. Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. You can imagine he is now a, a royal Egyptian, probably dressed in really fine attire, uh, clean-shaven face and head, uh, probably some makeup on. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, they did some strange things back then. Anyway, um, and he's around 40 years old now. So it's been quite a, quite a while since they'd seen their brother. Plus, they never expected to see him again. So he started questioning them. And he accused them of being a spy. You're up here, you're down here spying on us. Just to see their, you know, trying to get information about, out of them about their purposes, if their father was still alive, if Benjamin's still alive. And they, uh, they said, yes, their father and one other, and one brother was left up in Canaan. He says, well, I want you to, I want you to go get them. So I'm going to give you the food now. So he gave him plenty of food to take. He says, but when you come back for more food, you bring your brother with you. So they agreed to do that. So I don't know how much time passed. It's probably months and months. And they finally ran out of food. Uh, Israel had agreed to let this young son go with his other brothers. And, but he told his brothers, he said, if, if you don't bring him back, I probably will die. And... Uh, so the brothers said, we, we promise, we will bring him back. So they got back. Uh, they appear again before Joseph. Again, the bowing. And uh, Joseph sees all of his brothers there. And said he turns away from them and wept. So as the story goes, he asked about it, the dad, you know, is your father still alive? Yes, he's still alive. And he said, uh, okay. So he loaded them back up with food, and he, he told the people that take the money for the food, he said, put the money back in the sacks, and take this gold cup and the money and put it in Benjamin's sack. He had a plan, right? So as... They left. They were probably out, out of there for several miles, and Joseph sent the army after them. And they found the gold cup in Benjamin's sack, accused him of stealing it. So going to have to bring him back to where they were. So all the brothers followed them back, asking, asking, don't do this to my our younger brother, don't do this. So he appeared before Joseph again, and Joseph said, you know, you've stolen Stolen from me, you're now going to be my slave. You're, you're never going to leave here. Well, the brothers are just beside themselves because they had promised their dad, you know, we'll make sure, uh, we'll make sure he gets back here. So they begged and begged, and and uh, it was at this point brings us up to chapter 45 of Genesis. I just want to read just a few few verses of this chapter. This is when he reveals himself, and it's within these few verses where it really sets sets the uh, I'm not going to say set the tone, but it's kind of, this is this is the steps we should follow. This is the steps in the New Testament that I found that we should follow. And Joseph, all these years before, and this is what happened. Joseph couldn't control himself anymore. So before all of those that stood by him, which were his brothers and then his Hebrew interpreter, because he was never speaking Hebrew to them. He was speaking Egyptian. 
and it was being interpreted so they could understand. But he sent the interpreter, every Egyptian out of the room, and only his brothers were left. So he said, make sure everyone goes out for me. So no one stayed with him. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept. He wept aloud, so loud that the Egyptians heard it, and the households of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. So this is probably the first Hebrew word they've heard from his mouth. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed by his presence. I can imagine. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, who you sold into slavery in Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry at yourselves. Because you sold me here, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for two years, and there are yet five more years that will there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me here before you to preserve you for the remnant on earth, and to keep you alive and and many survivors. So it was not you that sent me here. It was God that sent me, you here, me here. He has made me the father to Pharaoh. Amazing. And Lord of all of his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. So hurry now, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me the Lord over all of Egypt. Come down and don't be tarry, and you will dwell in the land of Goshen and I will take care of you. Uh, that that is just amazing. But then you start looking at these verses. What what does it teach us? What what does that teach us? Verse one: Don't let anyone know what the sin was, who the sinner was, unless you're in a, a therapeutic environment, or you have a brother or a sister that's helping you through some difficult times. Otherwise, it's nobody else's business. When you know, when Joseph revealed himself, he had everybody everybody leave the room. And, and that's when he started speaking to his brothers in their native tongue. And the reason he did this, got rid of all the Egyptians there, he didn't want anyone to know what the sin was and what his brothers had done to him. I mean, Joseph was a hero in Egypt. I mean, he had saved not only Egypt, but the nations around. And you get that tongue, tongue wagging about what... His brothers did this and his brothers did, did that. And just that lack of respect just really just goes in the toilet. So Joseph didn't want any word leaking out about his family, except that he loved his family and he wanted them uh, with him. That in itself is just total forgiveness. I mean, he, he, he set the standard right there. Look at verse 2 through 4. Don't allow anyone to be afraid of you. If you're forgiving somebody, like Joseph, the last thing he wanted his brothers to feel was fear from him. And he knew, I mean, he knew what they must be feeling. Like, oh my, this is, this is our brother who we sold, and he is now the number two guy, and he has the power of life and death over us. What did he say to them? He said, come close to me. 
must have been a big hug fest at that point. But you know, this is this is a relationship that Jesus desires to have with each of us. He says, come close to me. And he says, come to me. You're heavy. You're heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You know, that's what he wants. He wants a relationship where we just trust him totally. You know, that night of Gethsemane when Jesus was in the, the garden and his disciples started running away, you know, Jesus didn't say, where are you guys going? You know, <laughs> after all I've taught you and you're going to abandon me now? He didn't, after the resurrection, he never referred to that again. He was just loving on these guys and telling them, you know, my father sent me and now I'm sending you. Verse 5 and 6. He, he wanted them to forgive themselves. Really important. He was... He, he said here, you know, when God had, God had sent me here. You know, they did the actual selling, but God had sent me here. He spoke words to encourage them that, hey, it's over. That part of our lives is over. Let's begin a new life. He wanted to set them free. Jesus wants that same thing for us. When we come to him, he wants to be, us to be set free. We've accepted his sacrifice. We've been washed clean by his blood. And God wants us to leave our whatever sins we confess to him. He wants us to leave them at the cross. He doesn't want us to pick them up again. You know, we pray, then we pick them up again, load them back on our backs, and go on with our life. He wants to set us free. So trust him. We are called by him. So why not trust him to fulfill his life in us? Then verse 7 and 8, very similar to uh, forgiving themselves, is helping them to save face. Because they knew what they had done. They knew they had not only uh, what they'd done to Joseph, but what they did to their poor dad. I mean, here their dad was like, uh, the son was killed by an animal, you know, and... Uh, because they, they had brought that coat back, soaked in blood. And so his dad thought he was dead. So he said, he said at this point here, this for the second time, he said, you didn't send me here. God is the one that sent me here. He had a better plan. And during, during those next uh, 17 years from that point, you know, they went to get, and got Israel, and they got all their families, and they got all their flocks, and their, everything they needed. And they moved into one of the most fertile areas of Egypt, the Goshen Valley. And there they, they prospered, they multiplied. I mean, everything was going good. Joseph was totally taking care of them. And then 17 years later, Israel died. You know, the father of all these guys. And uh, so the boys started worrying again. Like, boy, the only reason Dad only reason he hasn't killed us all is because dad was alive and protecting us. And they still had that thing. They could not forgive themselves and accept what Joseph had done for them. So they made up a story. They went to Joseph and they said, you know, dad wanted us to, wanted us to tell you something. He said, uh, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers. 
and the sin they committed against you and all that evil they did to you. <laughs> and poor Joseph, you know, here he is. He wept. He couldn't believe that his brother still thought that he was going to kill them because of what they did to him. This was 17 years later. And, and uh, this is when he says he said that just really a magnificent scripture, which I'm sure we've all used when bad things happen in our life. You know, Joseph turned and he, he reassured his brothers. He said, you meant evil against me? But God meant it for good to bring about that many people would be saved. Seventeen years, and these guys still had that fear. Now for us, if you can forgive somebody, it's going to be a lifelong commitment. It's not something you're going to do today and then 17 years from now remember, oh yeah, well I forgave her 17 years ago. It's a, it's, it is a daily thing. And it's not easy because things happen. Memories start coming up again. But you just go back to the commitment you made with God and say, it is lifelong. So my question today for you and me is, are you ready? Are you prepared to make that kind of commitment to God? Because I know all of us have, you know, I don't think I'm that much different than most people when it comes to people hurting me and you want to you want to hold on to that you don't want to hold on to it but then you find out you're holding on to it you know so are you prepared to make that covenant to forgive if so you've got to realize that it may have to be renewed day by day and it may be harder tomorrow than it is today you know today we're in a in church setting, it's great. You know, God is here. We are worshiping our Savior. And you say in your mind, you know, I forgive this person or that person. Tomorrow, it may come up that you need to do that again and again. So at the, uh, at the end of our service here, we will have an opportunity for everyone that as we praise and we worship, we'll have one of our home groups over here at the side. And if, if you want prayer for, and it doesn't have to be specific, it's totally up to you, but if you want to have prayer, these are to help you make that covenant with God to forgive. We just invite you to, to do that as we are worshiping. Now I would like to close with, uh, with these words from Jesus. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. When you can honestly say, that God will deal with them in the same merciful way that he has dealt with you. When you can do this, then those chains will come off and you will be free, free indeed. Hey, thank you.